Welcome to Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. In these episodes, we will be highlighting people who are impacted by histories and systemic processes of neglect and disinvestment, but do not often have a seat at the table and may not feel seen. This is a space for people radically reimagining a path forward, but not necessarily a space for those who are unpersuaded by the need for a better world where Black futures matter. We are focused on sharing perspectives that are often unshared or unheard because they challenge what we think we know. In this program, guests are the experts of their own reality. Tiffany Robertson was a member of the Advisory Council on the Missing and Murdered African-American Women Task Force here in Minnesota. Robertson is an advocate in every sense of the word. In her career, she has served youth in her community as a program manager, counselor, mentor, and administrator, meeting youth and supporting them wherever they are, oftentimes in crisis. Tiffany is a survivor with an amazing story that all Black women and girls should hear. Um, in 2021, the state of Minnesota created the Missing and Murdered African American Women Task Force, first of its kind in the nation. Um, myself, my organization, Research in Action, partnered with the Missing and Murdered African American Women Task Force to lead the writing of the legislative report, which was submitted December of 2022. Um, so when Research in Action was asked to help lead and support the work, um, they let us know, the state let us know that the task force um, would be created. And this is a space that was filled by appointment. So the Department of Corrections um, commissioner made those appointments and folks applied. Um, Research in Action only agreed to participate in this project if we created a mirrored council led by Black women who would guide the task force. This is the first task force of its kind in the state that had that type of structure. Um, we understood the sensibilities needed, and it didn't align with our values as an organization to have a group that wasn't led by Black women leading the missing and murdered African-American women task force. This might seem like a no-brainer, but we are in the state of Minnesota. Um, and we needed to be very clear about our ethics as an organization and what the state was going to need to stand on for us to be a part of it. Um, and Tiffany got to be a part of this amazing process that we are still continuing to engage in and move the work through. Um, but this particular group of Black women and girls advised the task force on its approach and strategy. And I would love to just talk with you about what was it like um, for you um, to be a part of this process um, and how has being a part of both guiding the task force and seeing the report all the way through, how has that impacted you um, personally and otherwise? Well, I, you know, I, the first thought, I, I'm really honored. I, I just am just honored to have to be a part of um and it it gave me a sense of um it gave me a, 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 i guess a sense of uh empowerment and and um 
and like finally, right? Mm-hmm. Like I had a sense of like relief of like finally, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and and then you know, just meeting some other incredible life experience individuals and um, yourself, mm-hmm. and just you know, all the people that are a part of. Um, the task force and the advisory council. I um, it was it was such a pleasure to to work with, and um, I my my biggest thing for me um, the biggest thing for me is is understanding and and hearing the voices of of lived experience individuals, whether that be youth or adults. Um, I think. Um, the work being led by individuals that have experience and and that um, knows the work is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the second piece for me um, is 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 the fight for homeless. You know, to end homelessness mm-hmm. is you know it's yeah. just so important. You know, for especially women and young girls to have a safe place to lay their head yes. at night. Um, and, and, and not having that put them so at risk mm-hmm. for so many things. And so I think it's very, very important that we really, really, really tackle the mm-hmm. homelessness of black girls and women. Um, yes. You know, I think some folks not when I say some folks were surprised that one of the major pillars in the recommendations was connected to housing. Mm-hmm. Now, black women and girls weren't surprised. Right. <laughs> That's not who I'm referencing in this moment. The reality is this legislative report is being made accessible to everyone, but particularly our electeds and also folks who um, have not made an intention to know and understand mm-hmm. Black women and girls. Yeah. So this is an introduction for a lot of folks when they've read this report um, yeah. to getting to know who Black women and girls are, everything from what brings them joy and the kind of close-knit work that they play, a role they play in their families, mm-hmm. but to also the things that they need mm-hmm. um, to thrive and grow. Um, and housing being one of the recommendations and the way in which we pulled apart what's needed, whether it's in um, both access to affordable, safe housing, but then also a section around shelter. Yeah, um, There are a lot of conversations we had with Black women and girls in domestic violence shelters and or who had formerly received those services, mm-hmm. who talked about, um, for a lack of better description, um, how dehumanized they felt in that context. Yeah. And one of those themes that spoke really loudly was around their treatment within those spaces. And one of our core recommendations actually came out of this series of themes around treatment in domestic violence shelters. And a lot of this, um, it talked about both them needing training, but far beyond just trauma-informed training. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like I have multiple questions at this moment because they were talking more about self-awareness and like cultural awareness Mm -hmm. and the ways in which particularly white-led organizations, white female-led organizations were placing cultural assumptions on Black women's bodies and then treating them differently than their white peers. Mm -hmm. This came up a lot in our interviews. Also, um, in our interviews in St. Cloud in particular, 
there was a black um, female elder in space who was literally creating like support group space separate for black women in the DV shelter. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to the other services because they didn't feel comfortable there. Mm-hmm. But they were leading their own yes. while they were in their own crisis. Absolutely. That's... Mm-hmm. What, what, what do we say about this? How is this showing up in your work? Um, yeah. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's so important that we have, um, uh, services in place that is culture specific to the needs of black women. And that means black women servicing black women, right? Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the times we, um, are, um, overlooked or we are, um, um, looked at as not important you know like mm-hmm. our situation is not as important as our white counterparts are our um mm-hmm. our need, need of crisis needs are not yes. um as as a much of a, of a crisis mm-hmm. as our white counterparts and it's um it's um crazy you brought this up because just being on the 24-hour crisis line right mm-hmm. um we have it We've had several calls um, this week specific to mm. DV services, okay. right? Um, and um, it's it's on a rise, and that is something that mm. I think is very important to look at when um, cultivating services specific to mm. black young okay. women and girls. Because we have to be relatable, right? Yes. We have to be comfortable and and and, and uh, feel we have to feel supported enough enough to even share our story. You know, yes. we feel like we have to, you know, um, we have to share our story to get the services that we need. But are we being heard? Are we being, um, you know, supported? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we're not. So mm-hmm. that's why you do we do see those. In, in inter or in, well those internal um kind of building your own resources and, and support systems and and groups mm-hmm. and and uh resources for for ourselves because it's just it's just not supported mm-hmm. and a lot of the, the domestic violence shelters um and services are led by white women mm-hmm. you know and so um, even when you, you, you want to do a, a report, not necessarily going to a shelter, but just file a report, you're following a report with a white, <laughs> with mm-hmm. a white person that does not have a clue as to, um, understanding what it is that, that you are needing and, and going through. This is Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. Disruptive Narratives is a co-production of Camo J and Ampers diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. You shared earlier that people need to feel supported to tell your story, um, but they also need to feel like they're being heard, right, when they are giving you access. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was doing... Um, for years working evictions, I would be working with a lot of women. Um, and I'm never going to forget a woman I met and stayed in close contact with thereafter 
who went through the county's coordinated entry system where they're asking her a lot of questions about mm-hmm. her story. Mm-hmm. And she told me right out, I lied. Mm-hmm. Um, because there had to be something wrong with me for them to get me the help I needed. Yep. So she had actually, um, her partner had introduced her to drugs and she was addicted. She told me, she I was addicted to drugs, but I didn't tell them that. Mm-hmm. Um, because of how they were talking to me. Um, and this also brings up in my mind, in our report, there's a big quote in one of the pages of our report that says, I, we have to be bleeding to get help. Yep. That is, is deep. That's deep. It's so deep. And there's so many intersections between the stories we tell to whom we tell it and how they interpret our stories, Mm -hmm. um, and how that either can place us in a, a more dire situation because they might be forcing us to take on exactly. things we don't want to. Yeah. I, versus getting us what we need. Yes. Yes. It's 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 that you you hit it right on. Um a lot of the times we we feel compelled to to fall in some of these categories just to get the needs met mm-hmm. for one thing. And that's why I said this is like we really mm-hmm. need to understand mm-hmm. like to to really be patient and tailored. Uh, these resources and and the the people that are providing these resources and people that are in place to service um, individuals, it, mm-hmm. they need to 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 I don't beyond training, right? Mm-hmm. You really kind of almost need some kind of lived experience to understand, yes. you know, like the needs and to understand how to um, approach those needs, right? Yes, um, and to be a you know, be a that safe person. You know, be a that yes. for for them. Can you so. help me understand something? Um, in our report, we make a recommendation around hiring folks with lived experience. I did not know going into this project that it's a debate in the safe harbor community. Oh yeah, to have someone who is a survivor has been in the life actually be doing the work that that's like a debate that people are deeply divided about i did not know this yeah what is this um for me is no debate right for me is is no is it's like it's no argument is no debate it is you know like we some things i i don't um entertain and that's one of them i'm not gonna entertain that i'm not gonna it is proven Right. It mm-hmm. is it's proven that and the research don't I mean, the the, the data don't lie. lie right. So. <laughs> so, OK, so help me understand the thinking of the person that is advocating against this, because you've heard it. Right. You've heard people advocate for not having folks that are survivors or uh-huh. have been in the life. Is what are they saying? Lack of education, the lack of, mm. uh, you know, um, transparency, the lack of, you know, it's just the the. They they feel as though we don't know when in fact we do, right? Mm. That's their own feeling. That's their own problem, right? That's you know. But we can show you better than we can tell you. It's the it's the loss of for me. It's the loss of power, right? It's like okay. you, they feel like they're losing something, right? Oh, if we, um, you know, if we do this, then we're gonna lose this. Or if we, you know, like okay. um, a lot of uh, organizations are led by whites right mm-hmm. and so if a lot of black women come up and you know are getting these positions they feel threatened right it's, mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things that we've been dealing with for 
as black people right. for a very long time. years, years and years. They are having a natural reaction to losing mm-hmm. power in, 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 in this form. And, you know, something I and this is an assumption I'm making. Outside of losing positional power within these organizations that then also influence policy around mm-hmm. um, safe harbor work. I, I'm, I'm assuming that part of the debate or tension was that, so if you're too close to it because you've experienced it, you can't, like, make unbiased, like, decisions or provide unbiased support. There's a, this illusion that something can be unbiased, first mm. of all. <laughs> There's this illusion that something can be. Right. And that presumably a white person who hasn't, whether been in the life or is far removed from it, is better to make a decision than a person who actually has been in the life mm-hmm. and has experience because somehow you're tainted. This is what I'm assuming is also a part of yeah. this debate. It could be. You know, it very well could be. Um, we... <sighs> it, so anytime that um, us as Blacks, mm-hmm. you know, have ever tried to create something of our own, mm-hmm. it's always been dismantled, right? And so this is a small micro form of mm-hmm. finding a way to dismantle something that we works for us, mm-hmm. right? Um, we don't necessarily need this, so um, we 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 don't we don't need to be told what we need right we don't need to be told how to live you know like so we know what we need we know um what it is that uh supports us best and so that's why i say there's no argument there for me um but um i have heard yeah just getting back to that very fundamental kind of foundational concept we know what we need yeah but the unfortunate reality is i can't think of any social welfare policy that wasn't about we know what is better yep. for you. Yep. Yeah. That that's the thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's like that's the definition of paternalism. It means I know more than you do. Yeah. And I know what's better for you than you do. Absolutely. And you know. And that's just not true. You don't. Yeah. Not true. Not true at all. So it's no <laughs> debate for me. <laughs> this is Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. Disruptive Narratives is a co-production of Camo J and Ampers. Diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. I want to um, kind of go back to you and your family. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm not sure um, if those tuning in um, know much about your connections in your family or who your family is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I want to ask you two questions. Um, the first question is, what is your relationship to? Um, and, um, Jamar, mm-hmm. um, and what is the story you feel like needs to be told? So, um, my relation to Jamar Clark is, um, that's, that's my baby brother, um, he was uh, murdered by Minneapolis police back in um, November twenty November November fifteenth of mm-hmm. twenty fifteen, and um, 
unjustly, like unarmed, no no threat to the police. Um, the they were called um, with the paramedics. Someone had sprang an ankle, and um, Jamar just so happened to be out there with the paramedics. Mm-hmm. Um, the paramedics uh, stated that they had everything under control, and the police just. Within 61 seconds of them mm-hmm. having any interaction with Jamar, they killed him, right? So mm-hmm. there was no, like, real interaction. It was just like they came, ran up on him, hemmed him up, and wrestled him down and shot him while he was he was on the ground. Two officers. So um, that, that I, I, I want, I, what I would like, I want people to know is um, the fight for justice for Jamar is still, is still mm. there. It still stands. We mm. continue to to uh, fight for accountability. You know, we fight. We, we continue to fight for those officers to not be in practice right now, to not mm. um, have any kind of interaction with, this, especially the black community, mm-hmm. um, and and the fight for to reopen his case. Okay, um, Jamar, he that he just was so full of life, and that how they did him was just brutal like that mm-hmm. was just execution um jamar did um was targeted in, in in my belief he was targeted for a small um lawsuit that he had with mpd for an interaction prior to about seven months prior to so you mentioned that jamar was pursuing a lawsuit against mpd yeah 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 um what was the context of that lawsuit? Jamar had an encounter in, uh, uh, with the police with a friend. He was in the car with a friend. Um, they got pulled over and they were roughed up and Jamar got beat up really bad. He ended up get, going into a seizure. And, um, you know, because of him, you know, like the, the, the him getting beat up, which is, 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 is unfortunate to say. But that is so common in North Minneapolis, just getting pulled over and get your, get, you know, get your ass beat. And so it was, it's, 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 it's one of the things that he, um, he, he wanted to do something about it, right? He, he wants to take a stand and do something about it. And he lost his life behind it. He did uh, obtain um, a lawyer. Okay. And once they got with and wind of okay, mm-hmm. this is in process. Um, okay. He just kind of became a target. They would pop up at my mom's house in plain clothes, like mm. like um like a gang unit, okay. um, but not a gang unit. Mm-hmm. They didn't have name tags, um, and they wouldn't identify themselves. Wow. Other than that, they were law enforcement, mm-hmm. and Jamar was never known. To be associated, affiliated with the gang ever, mm-hmm. um, so that was just really odd. When my mom, she got scared. She's like, "I don't know um, what's going on," mm. and um, you know, just just those types of things. You know, after they got wind of it, and we mm-hmm. live in that community, mm-hmm. um, Jamar was like literally, literally staying two blocks away from the same precinct that he was pursuing a lawsuit mm-hmm. against. So it was just one of those things where. Um, he became a target. Um, my younger sister, Sharice. Mm. Um, so he's the youngest g- boy. Okay. And my younger sister, um, the youngest girl, she had some medical, con- uh, a medical condition that okay. 
cause her to not be able to work and to stay at home and need some some daily care. Okay. And um, she's he's she was there by herself, and um, she's he's like, no, Reese need me. I need to you know help her with. She had two kids that mm-hmm. were school age, and he would take them, walk them to the bus, pick them up from the bus, take them to the hospitality house for mm-hmm. after school, and bring them back home. While he still maintained two jobs, like he would work on the weekends and then he would go to work when he dropped them off and be back by the time they would get off off school. So um, he's just like, no, they, you know, Reese really need me. I, I have to stay here for her. And um, yeah. And so after he passed, um, after he was killed, eight months later, um, mm-hmm. Reese passed and you know, that was her support. That was her help. That was a person that um, really helped her get through, mm-hmm. you know, her sickness. And at that time, they took that away from her. You know, they took okay. that away from her. They took that away from her, her kids. And um, she, it's it, it was hard for her, you know, after his, his, his yeah. death. Um, and so... Um, it's, it's, it's been, it's, it's been um, very, very challenging to, to live in that reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't need to pause. There's so much loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, so much to grieve. How yeah. are you managing? <sighs> um... Uh, I, I'm 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 doing the best that I can, um, and I'm I'm big on self care, um, and and I'm I'm big on um, mental health care. Right, um, that's a part of self care. Surrounding myself with um, with positive individuals and. Um, Sharing my story is is, is therapeutic in itself. I love that. You are a gift if no one told you that today. Thank you. And for tomorrow, I need you to tell yourself that. Thank you. Um, You're an embodiment of, I think, the resilience um, and love that is in our community, but often not, like, put a spotlight on. Yeah. Um, so I'm have been honored to work with you. I'm honored to continue to work with you. Um, and keep sharing your story. There's so much power in it. Like I need you to know that. Thank you. I, I definitely appreciate it. I needed to hear that. <laughs> I and along the way, you're gonna be so shocked at what it does for you. Yeah. So it was a pleasure, Tiffany. It was an honor. Hopefully it's not the been last an time. honor. And it won't be the last time. <laughs> I told you, I said, you, y'all stuck with me now. I yes. it's it's a wrap. Yes, I'm, I'm here and I'm here for the long call. Okay. I, I I'm I'm not going anywhere. So I am I I'm that. I'm honored to be a part of. I'm honored to be in friendship with you and yes. and just loving the work that we are putting in place and we are doing. It's just, I, I can't wait till we are able to really, really, you know, go really Agreed. hard and 
really start impacting lives. Yes. As Agreed. we do the work. So. Well, I got some stuff cooking, girl. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to hit you up. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> to hear our full conversation, visit camojfm.com. Disruptive Narratives is a production of Camel J Radio and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. Made with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund, hosted by Dr. Brittany Lewis, produced by Miranda Wilson, edited by Abdi Muhammad, music by Jerome Rankin.